Hey, it's you, man, from KC95 here. Good evening, and welcome to Toasted Tavern. Your host, Scott Tobin, and the man called Wags are ready to bring you the night in sports. So pull up a stool, grab a drink, and let's get toasted. Good evening, and welcome into the Toasted Tavern. And this is a hell of a way to start the show. We're being broadcast live to the loudspeakers at the store where Mason Blues Fan Reacts works right now. So those of you that are listening out in Utah, welcome into the show. We cannot be happier to have you in here. I know we're going to be talking a lot about Midwest sports, but you know what? You're invited too because it's Utah and you're close enough to the Midwest. So thank you for joining Scott and I tonight as we break down the night in sports. And and Scott, I love the look. I'm so happy that we, we've got a, a great big screen for both of us now. And it's it just showing the progression of this show and as quickly as it's been. Yeah, right. I finally got the computer situation fixed. Now I just have to be not tired so I can get the backdrop fixed. I didn't make it to the basement again tonight, man. It's been a long day, so I made it to the kitchen, but that's as far as I got. But we'll be downstairs with a backdrop here in the next couple of days, I promise. <laughs> I mean, I know it's 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 tough getting up that early, and I know Tom Franklin over at Toasted STL is the same way. It's the 3 a.m. mornings. It's the long, dragging days, and then you still got to actually live your life, too. So, Totally understand it. I hope you can get some rest this weekend. I know it's the 4th of July, so fireworks are going to keep everybody awake. But at least it's the weekend and not in the middle of the work week. And, and I'm very, very thankful for that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to get a ton of sleep, I hope, tonight and tomorrow. And I, I really hope because my next couple of weeks gets even crazier. So, yeah, I need to get all the rest I can during this holiday weekend. And you know what? Uh, you don't have to watch the Cardinals play because they are uh, doing exactly what they've done, oh, I don't know, the last couple of weeks, which is lose and not play well. And, and we're going to start right there because it's another one of those instances where you just go, what is wrong with this team? I mean, last night you had Adam Wainwright go eight innings, six hits, two earned runs allowed, one walk, four Ks, just absolutely dominating in Colorado like he's done pretty much his entire career. He's like one of those few pitchers that actually pitches super well in Colorado. He's got a sub two ERA up at what it's considered, in my mind, Coors Field. But I know it's something different nowadays. But then you have Giovanni Gallegos come in in the bottom of the ninth. And we had just gotten done talking over the last two days about how good the back end of this bullpen is. Gets a couple of the first two guys out, gets into some trouble, and then just loses a slider to Elias Diaz, who blasts it into the outfield and hits the game-winning three-run walk-off home run to give the Rockies a five-to-two lead, uh, five-to-two win. And uh, he did it again tonight. Elias Diaz has hit another home run. He tied the game at two, and and then in the sixth inning, the Rockies actually have now gone ahead three-to-two. Uh, after Yadier Molina gave the Cardinals a 2-0 lead uh, earlier in the game in the second inning. I, Scott, I'm just, I don't know what to say. We 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 thought this series was going to be the series where the Cardinals maybe could get a couple wins, two, maybe three in this series, and really get themselves back into this race. But after losing the heartbreaker last night, and now after blowing a 2-0 lead, are, are we getting to the, to the point now where we had to just, shut it down this year and look forward to next season. No, I'm, I, it's going to be tough if they don't win at least two games or three games in this series, but I'm not at the point where I'm ready to shut it down. You know, I'm, stranger things have happened. You know, Milwaukee has been so hot. They're due to go on a cold streak here shortly. So, I mean, anything still happen, still possible. We've got a half of a season left. So I'm not ready to ride them off no matter what happens, but yeah, it's frustrating. 
and you know, there's no excuse for Gallegos last night. I mean, you get the first two outs, then you walk two guys in a row, and then you have the guy O2. And you know, I, I know that you know, I know that things happen and balls don't break necessarily the way that they're supposed to in the altitude in Colorado. But I mean, he threw that slider. That ball had nothing on it. I mean, it was flat and straight and right down the middle. There's no way you can throw that pitch with an O2 count and two outs in the ninth inning. I don't care if you throw it over the guy's head. I don't care if you bounce it in the dirt, but you cannot throw that ball right down the middle like that. And I mean, you could just see the frustration on Yachty's face as he was sticking his glove out. I mean, you, you could tell that that pitch was nowhere near where he was calling for it. And just the pure frustration in Yachty, you can see in the replay, is watching that play happen. It, it was very, very frustrating for sure. And uh, actually, as we continue to watch this game progress right now, Paul DeYoung actually just hit a double to deep center to get himself in scoring position with just one out in the top of the seventh. Uh, we talked about wasting a great Adam Wainwright performance. You know, he was going for his fifth straight win. He, he struggled a little early on, but was able to lock it down and pitch eight innings. Uh, we look at the fact that the offense at Colorado cannot put up more than two runs. And so far tonight, they've only put up two runs as well. And and the name that keeps popping up and popping up and popping up is Joey Gallo. And I, I, I kind of want to address this because I, I got a personal uh, set of messages from uh, one Scott Stone, somebody that you know as well. And he's basically still just not able to understand why trading for a guy like Joey Gallo is going to be a boon for the Cardinals. You know, he's, he basically said in the messages, he's a career 212 hitter, current average is 239 on pace to strike out 200 times on base percentage may be high, but how is a guy that's going to strike out over 200 times, make this team immediately better? Um, you know, he says, when he looks at the stats, he sees what he's done throughout his career. He sees an Adam Dunn and a Chris Davis, but with a slightly better glove. Uh, he gets that he hits a lot of home runs, drives in a lot of runs, but his his career average is barely above the Mendoza line. I mean, it's it's not barely; it's it's pretty significant. It's about a two forty hitter where where you think he would be at. But you know, he says he understands all the metrics that come with baseball, but he still doesn't understand the trade. Why this would be something that would make the Cardinals better? And I think that's something that a lot of fans are are looking at. Yes, half the fans see the power in the RBIs and go, "Oh, this is huge," but then the other half looks at it and goes. He strikes out a lot. He's not a contact hitter. Why would you bring somebody in that you know you have in a Matt Carpenter or a Tyler O'Neill? And you mentioned it last night about him being potentially a slightly better Tyler O'Neill. But you know what? What can you say to those fans that look at him and go, "Why? Why does he make this team better?" Well, you got to look at the fact that he's not just a home run or nothing hitter. The guy also gets a ton of doubles. And he's a gold glove outfielder. You know, it's not like you're bringing in a guy, somebody compared him to Adam Dunn or Chris Davis. He's not one of those guys because he can actually play defense. He's got speed. He can steal bases. He's been an all-star. He's won gold gloves. And he's the left-handed power bat that you need. And you have to look at the fact also that he's never had the people around him in the lineup that he would have here. You know, he's never had a been sandwiched between a Paul Goldschmidt and a Nolan Arenado. You know, and you also have to remember that he's just now getting into the prime of his career. He's just now 27 years old. So, you know, he's just now getting into those peak years of his career. And, yeah, he's going to strike out a lot. But, you know, the way baseball is played now, you know, if you hit 240 and he hits 40 home runs and drives home 110 runs and wins a gold glove, you're going to live with that, you know, because you've got other guys like Goldie and Arnado that are going to hit for more average. And it's just it's going to balance them out having that left-handed power bat in the middle of the lineup, which is something the Cardinals haven't been able to develop. 
You know, they were hoping maybe Justin Williams could be that guy. They've been looking for that bat for a while. You know, I'm not saying that Joey Gallo is going to come in here and be the savior, but he's a left-handed power bat that you that you need to kind of even out your lineup because you've got a couple of switch hitters, but you really don't have a left-handed bat in your lineup right now. And the Cardinals have struggled against right-handed pitching this year. So maybe if you get that pure lefty, that helps that out as well. And then it just lengthens your lineup because that's another threat. And like you said, you know, he is a gold glove caliber outfielder. Or if you need to, you can switch him out with Harrison Bader or whatever late in games. You know, he, he's just a threat. You know, kind of like we talked about, you know, the rest of this year, you would have four pretty good outfielders. And whichever one isn't playing that day goes to your bench, which then lengthens your bench and makes them better as well. And I, I'm right there along with you. I mean, I was a little skeptical at first, but then as you start to dig deeper into the why behind it, it makes sense. And, and I believe he's under team control for next year too, is he not? He is, yeah. He's not so, making a ton of money, no. Yeah, and if you can get him for the right price, it makes a, t- a ton of sense. And and kind of echoing that is uh, what Arenado said last night. Uh, cards should be buyers at the deadline. Mason says, uh, I sense a little bit of subtle disgust there when a player says that. But then you also sent out today that the Rockies insider from the Athletic thinks the Cardinals make the most sense for the Rockies to, to make a story slash gray trade and that, you, that the Rockies might have interest in Paul DeYoung. And I was watching the game tonight, and, and they were talking about Paul DeYoung. I was watching the, the Colorado broadcast, and they've been talking about Paul DeYoung. Are, are we on the cusp, potentially, of, of maybe seeing a deal like this happen, even with the, 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 the trade of Nolan Arenado in the offseason? Could we see a story gray trade with the young involved because it seems like a lot of people are talking about it you know what when i heard that today you know it was like okay that makes a lot of sense and i got a little bit excited because you heard the colorado you know the colorado insider from the athletics say you know this makes the most sense for the rockies you know and everything and then i heard brad thompson and they kind of posed that question to him and said you know what if it was like a zach thompson paul DeYoung, andrew kisner for Trevor Story and John Gray, and Brad Thompson said I wouldn't do it, and he said the reason I don't do it is because I don't think you can get Trevor Story to come back here. Not that he wouldn't want to, but he doesn't think that the Cardinals would be willing to pay Story and Arenado the kind of money to have those two guys be in the middle of your lineup. You know, because you know it's probably going to take two hundred million dollars or more to sign Trevor Story long term. You've already got that money committed to Arenado. You've got over a hundred million dollars committed to Goldschmidt. I, you know, I just don't know that the Cardinals would do that. I mean, you know, maybe it's a situation where Nolan Arenado goes to the front office and says, hey, here's the guy I want you to make this move. Then maybe you have to think about it. You know, maybe, you know, maybe it's a situation where Arenado's telling story, you know, all of the things that Arenado heard from Matt Holliday and Larry Walker and those guys, that maybe story would come here and take a little less money to resign to play with his buddy Arenado and, and kind of experience the Cardinal thing. But whether whether John Mozeliak would make that move or not, I'm just not sure. It is difficult to say. And who's to say that a guy like Arenado, because he's already kind of done it already, says, hey, you know, I'll defer even more money to, to allow you guys to bring in a guy like Trevor Story so I can play with a friend, so I can have that tandem over there and, and just let's have fun and go win championships. You know, Nolan strikes me as a guy that would do something like that when it comes to winning. I mean, he – I wouldn't say he forced himself out of Colorado to go win, but he realized that Colorado was not building towards that. And he basically said, I want to go somewhere that will win. And he facilitated a trade to the Cardinals. And 
now that he's here and the fact that he has an opt-out potentially after this season too, and once again, I don't think he's going to use it. I think he really does enjoy playing in St. Louis. He sees that there's $70 million coming off the books next year and that the Cardinals will probably make improvements. I think he's sticking around. You look at it and he seems like a guy that, that really wants to be here. And if you bring in a guy like Story, I think between the two of them, and yes, you want to break the bank as a free agent, no question. But I think between between the two of them, they will find a way to make it work for the Cardinals so that they can they can both be here, stay competitive, and go out and win some championships. Yeah, you would hope so. Hey, maybe we can have Nolan Arenado Day, kind of like Bobby Bonilla today, where he just defers money for till like 2060 or something, you know? And uh, but uh you know, and Cardinal players have done it in the past. I mean, Jim Edmonds did that. Scott Rowland did it. Chris Carpenter did it. So it's not it's not out of the norm for Cardinal players to do that, to kind of defer money, to make things work so that you can have a bunch of star players on your team. So we'll just see how it plays out. I mean, it would be an interesting it would be an interesting situation. You know, I said the other day I wouldn't trade DeYoung straight up for story. But if you could get John Gray in that and not have to give up, you know, Libertor or Gorman or something, then I'm in, you know, then let's see if we could make that work. And maybe, you know, you can still make a run this year and uh, get story to resign and have a dynasty kind of in the making once again in St. Louis. It's been a little while since we've had a, a long sustained run of success at the level that we're used to, you know, multiple playoff appearances, deep playoff runs, potential for world series championships. It's been a while since they've had that and really a while since they've had a, a sort of MV3 lineup, you know, with, you know, Edmonds rolling, you had Molina pool holes in there as well. If you can get a, a lineup with you with Goldschmidt, uh, Arenado, if story rebounds, and then you throw Dylan Carlson in there as well. That's a, that's a hell of a four to start off a, a lineup, and then you still got Yachty hitting. So it does make a lot of sense that if they if they want to win this year, they do have to do something in that line. And then oh, throw Tyler O'Neill in there as well. And oh, guess what? Maybe you throw Joey Gallo. <laughs> I mean, all of a sudden we're playing fantasy baseball, video game baseball, where we're just putting everybody on the team and right. seeing what fits essentially. Uh, and, and Mason. Ask the question: Where does the blame lie uh, in a team's struggles? Oftentimes, in baseball, the management is the first under scrutiny. But when do you start looking at the players and start expecting more of them? And, and that's just not a baseball thing either, because you see it in hockey, you see it in football, you see it in basketball, where you know upper management doesn't really get the the pink slip, which you would say it's more managers and then players get traded away. So, I mean. Management, I think, is always under scrutiny, but it's usually the players and the managers that feel the the axe fall on them. Yeah, and in baseball, a lot of times it's a pitching coach or a hitting coach that's the first one to take the fall. And going back to that, I don't know, I don't know if you've caught it, but Mike Schilt has made some interesting comments the last couple of days. You know, we heard John Mozeliak kind of defend Jeff Alberts last week, saying, you know, we got to make sure the right voices are getting to the right players. Schultz pretty much come out the last couple of days and said, okay, this offensive philosophy is not working. We've got to get back to playing some small ball, not trying to hit everything out of the ballpark, hitting line drives, hitting gaps, you know, doing little things, advancing runners, you know. And so it's almost like Mike Schilt is kind of going after Jeff Alberts and kind of pushing back against what Mosellock has said the last couple of weeks. And if you have that kind of divide in philosophy between your manager and your general manager and your hitting coach, as to what you're going to do or what kind of team you're going to be, that's a pretty big problem. 
you know, and when you think about it, when Matheny got fired and Mike Schilt came in and everybody was so excited and that team went on such a run at the end of 18 and almost made the playoffs, you have to remember that that was the kind of ball they played. Everybody was so excited because Schilt came in and they were stealing bases. And remember, that's when Harrison Bader was kind of on fire and beating out ground balls and bunting and stealing bases. And, you know, they were, they were playing really exciting baseball. You know, everybody was fired up. And then as the last couple of years have come and gone, they've kind of gone away from all of that. And they've gone back to we're swinging for the fences and it's all about, you know, lift and, and all of this stuff, the metric side. So if Schultz saying, okay, we need to go back old school and the hitting coach and the general manager are saying, no, that's not our philosophy. You know, that's a pretty, that's, that's going to be tough on the players because the players are kind of stuck in the middle there because they're getting two totally different messages from, you know, upper management and then their hitting coach. So, you know, that's a pretty big problem that, you know, if Schilt keeps talking back, you know, kind of going at a different philosophy, you wonder if if Mike Schultz's job could be in jeopardy because you can't imagine that if he's got a different philosophy than what John Mozeliak has, how long can that really mesh? Uh, not very long because somebody's going to go rogue and it's either going to work out well for the team or it's going to blow up in somebody's face. And that's not something you want to see with this organization. And at this point, you almost have to sit there and say, you know, the DeWitts have to step in and figure out what they want to do. You know, do they want to ride the horse of John Mozeliak and his philosophy and, and let Mike Schilt go? Or do they sit there and go, Mike Schilt's the guy we want. He, he's a face. He's personable. The players like him. We're see, we can see success in his future. Maybe it's time to part ways with Mosellock. I mean, you know, remember when Walt Jockety left as well? It wasn't. I don't think it was necessarily Walt Jockety wanting to leave St. Louis. I think it was more about promoting Mosellock and and getting a different philosophy in here. Well, I feel like he's been here just as long, if not longer, than Walt Jockety was here. And maybe it's that time where you start looking at moving a different direction and whether that's with Mike Schilt or maybe it's bringing in a whole new set of leadership. That's a question that you have to ask is the DeWitts. Yeah, you're bringing in money, but at this point, how many sellouts have the Cardinals had since fans have been back at full capacity? It's not been, it's only been a couple weeks. So it's not like it's, you know, a, a great metric to look at, but if this team continues to play like this and they don't see full ballparks, the DeWitts have to sit there and, and step in and go, look, we got to get back to where, where we were at before. Yes, it, it may be because they, they like to earn money, but I think truly they want to see the Cardinals succeed as an organization and be at the forefront of Major League Baseball. When do they step in and say, okay, this is what we want. This is who's staying. This is who's going. End of story. Go on from there. I don't think it'll be very long. And, you know, people want to criticize DeWitt and say, oh, you know, he doesn't care about winning. All he cares about is money. Bill DeWitt's a lifelong baseball guy. I mean, he grew up as a bat boy for the Browns. Then his family owned the Reds for a while, you know, before the Cardinals. He's been involved in Major League Baseball. And you talk to people in the know, and Bill DeWitt is very involved. You know, he's talking to scouts. He, he's involved in everything, or at least has his ear to everything. He knows what's going on. He's not an owner that's just there to make money. He wants to win and wants to win championships. And so I don't think it'll take very much longer for something to happen, whether it's whether it is Mosaic or whether it's Schultz. I think I would be shocked if they have a bad road trip. If we go to the All Star break and something major doesn't happen, I would be really surprised because you got to remember in eighteen it was it was the night before the All Star break, after that last game that Mike Matheny got fired. 
you know, so that might be that might be the point where something major does happen and somebody's gone or maybe a couple of people are gone because, like you said, you have to get back to where, you know, right now fans don't want to go to the ballpark. You know, it's not fun. It, it wasn't fun to be down there. You know, there's there's not a whole lot of excitement when your team's not getting any hits and you're striking out and you're losing seven to one and eight to two and your pitchers are walking everybody and you know people don't want to be down there for that you know and so that's not cardinal baseball to go to bush stadium and see twenty thousand people in the ballpark and you know the dewitts aren't going to let that happen for very long the cardinal the cardinal way the cardinal legacy means a lot to them so they're not going to let this fall off you know they will step in and do something pretty drastic pretty soon i do believe and it's been really since the early 90s since we've seen 20,000 or less in the stands of Bush Stadium because once TLR came in, it, you started going on that successful run. It continued for so long. You had Albert here. You had the championships. You had all of that. And even the past 10 years, it's still been relatively successful. It's not like they've been that poor. I mean, there, there's been instances where they've had some bad runs and, and people have kind of stepped back. But for the most part – they filled the stadium because they have been a successful team. This is really the first time. And you don't want to get back to those late 80s, early 90s uh, era baseball because it was bad and, and people really, really did not want to go to the game or watch it. I mean, I remember as a kid in the, in the early 90s, spring training games were on and, and all that stuff on KPLR. And, you know, I liked baseball and I would watch it here and there, but the spring training games were terrible. And, I, I didn't really have an interest in baseball in the early nineties. It wasn't until 94, 95, of course, right around the strike uh, that, that I kind of got back into baseball. And then the home run dirt or the home run chase and all that brought everybody back in 98. Uh, I, I don't want us to go back to that time frame. I, I am spoiled by the successes of the St. Louis Cardinals. And I really just don't want that, uh, that to end. No, I don't think it will. I mean, you talk about the late eighties, early nineties, you know, in that bad era of baseball was, you know, Gussie Bush died in 89 and then Anheuser-Busch owned the team. His family owned it and they didn't care about baseball. You know, Gussie loved baseball, wanted the Cardinals to win. And then when he passed away, it was just kind of a, a business that Anheuser-Busch owned and nobody really cared until 95 when they sold it and the DeWitts took over. And then, like you said, that's when they came in and redid the stadium and put grass in and you know, they started calling it baseball like it ought to be. And, you know, that very first year that they owned it, they went back to the playoffs again. And since 96, they've had, you know, four losing seasons, basically, in the last 25 years. So, you know, as much as people want to whine and complain about how bad baseball is, you know, we're a little bit spoiled in St. Louis. Imagine, you know, we, we have a bad year, a couple of years where we end up in second or third place and people are like, oh, my God, the sky's falling. Imagine if you lived in Pittsburgh or if you lived in Seattle or if you lived in Cleveland or Miami, you know, I mean, we're pretty spoiled in St. Louis because we've had such a run of success and so many great players come through this organization. That we have, that we have. All right. Speaking of uh, the trade deadline, we were talking about what the Cardinals could do. It looks like another one of those teams, the first place team is on the verge of potentially making a big move and probably the biggest move at this point in time of the season, the, the Mets, are having preliminary discussions with the uh, Minnesota Twins on Josh Donaldson. Uh, now, the, the interesting caveat to that is, you know, J.D. Davis and Jonathan VR, the two third baseman primary guys, are beginning rehab assignments right now. Uh, and the Mets are trying to stay under the luxury tax. And Josh Donaldson would put them right up against where they're wanting to spend 
and maybe not allow them to go out and add any other pieces at the deadline without you know moving other people out. But you know, what are you hearing as far as Josh Donaldson's concerned? I know it's preliminary talks, but are, are the Mets really seriously thinking about bringing in Josh Donaldson? You know, from everything that I've read in New York, it sounds like they think they are. You know, when the new ownership group came in, they basically said they were going to do whatever, you know, money wasn't an option and they were, wasn't an object and they were going to do whatever it took to win. You know, he wanted to win a World Series in the next couple of years. So, you know, and they didn't really spend money like people thought they were going to. You know, they made the Lindor trade, but they didn't really go out and sign the big name free agents like everybody expected them. So I think if they have a shot to get Donaldson, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they made that move because, you know, J.D. Davis and, and Villar are decent players, but, you know, Josh Donaldson, when he's hot, is is a difference maker. So that could be huge for the Mets, especially as competitive as that East is because, you know, while the Braves and the Phillies have been disappointing, all of a sudden the Nationals are really hot and are nipping on the Mets' heels. That they are. They have a two-game lead over the Nationals right now. And, and speaking of uh, first-place teams, I, I just wanted to kind of throw out a question. We asked this uh, earlier in the week about which uh, you know first-place teams are pretenders and which ones are contenders. Uh, just looking at the standings, Boston has a three-and-a-half game lead. The White Sox a five-game lead. Houston a game-and-a-half. The Mets two. Milwaukee has six-and-a-half game lead, and the Giants are just up a half a game right now. Uh, and I, I kind of wanted to see what your thoughts were about of those six teams, which one – kind of has the more tedious position. I know you could sit there and say the Giants because they're only a half game out uh, up on second place team, but which team really is kind of at, at that tipping point where if things start to go haywire, it's going to go haywire quick. I, I think you could put the Mets in there just because you've got the Nationals coming and, you know, the Nationals know how to do this. They did this a couple of years ago when they won the World Series. I mean, they were like 19 and 32 at one point that year. And they turned it around and we're kind of seeing the same thing this year. So the Mets could be the team that are in the most trouble because if they start to take on water, Washington could catch them pretty quickly because Kyle Schwarber's a freaking beast right now. He's kind of leading, he's leading the charge. I mean, he's hit home runs like crazy and driving home runs and he's doing it from the leadoff spot in Washington. So that's, that's the place that I think I would look because I think you look at the American league and I think Boston's, in really good spot. I think the White Sox are in a good spot. You could look at Houston and say they could be in a little bit of trouble. You know, I think Alex Bregman is going to be out longer than they expected. You know, so you've got Oakland kind of coming there, but you know, you never know with the A's either. It'll be interesting to see what happens at the trade deadline with that ball club because Oakland is another team that Trevor Story has at least been kind of linked to as a possibility. That is very, very true. And uh, even though Oakland has never really been the, the big move type of team, they have made big moves in the past. You know, they brought in Matt Holiday from Colorado as well. So they, they do know, even if it's a rental, that they can bring in that big guy for just a short-term run. And you know, you look at that, and if they can add offense, and if they can add a pitcher or two, that, that could be a real, real scary team out there in Oakland. Uh, another piece uh, in baseball, Trevor Bauer placed on leave on the restricted list today. So he'll miss his start on Saturday or on Sunday. We talked about it yesterday. Don't want to dive too far into it because not a whole lot of new stuff has come out. You know, some new photos and texts came out today, which I think pretty much prompted Major League Baseball to make that move to the restricted list. Uh, at this point, he'll still get paid. He won't be able to take part in team activities and he'll not count against the roster, but it's a seven day leave essentially but major league baseball in conjunction with the players association can can request and get another seven days uh is 14 days you think probably the the, the lifeline of this investigation and knowing a little bit more as far as whether suspending him long term or allowing him to come back 
Yeah, I mean, it's, de- it's that's definitely what they're doing here. They're trying to buy themselves some time. But, you know, from stuff that I'm hearing and reading, we may not see Trevor Bauer on the field again this year. It, it may become a situation where the Dodgers, even while the investigation is going on, the Dodgers may ask him to step away and not be a distraction. So Trevor Bauer's season very well could be over. That's incredible. I, I mean, it, it's a very unique story for sure and something we definitely will have to watch. But, uh, wow, that's – I don't think this was the bombshell that they were expecting to come down this year, at least as far as Trevor Bauer is concerned. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, one more baseball note before we, we change subjects. Uh, the U.S. Olympic baseball team was announced today, and there were some interesting names that were out there. Uh, first off, you had former Major League Baseball players Todd Frazier, Scott Casimir, David Robertson, and former Cardinal and World Series champion Edwin Jackson make the team. Uh, are you a little bit uh, surprised that Edwin Jackson was still pitching? You know, that guy's pitched for everybody at the major leagues. He might as well pitch for the Olympic team, too. You know, he's kind of America's pitcher at this point. That he is. And, and Matthew Libertor won't be a part of this team, but he was one of the guys that helped pitch the U.S. into the Olympics. So you have to appreciate that as well. You got a lot of really good decent talent on there. And the one piece that I was watching the game tonight and the Rockies were talking about this, uh, Eddie Alvarez has made the team as a second baseman. And you're sitting there going, Eddie Alvarez, who, who is Eddie Alvarez? Well, he's actually an Olympic gold medal or Olympic silver medal winner in speed skating at Sochi. So he might be able to medal in the winter and the summer Olympics. He's playing. He's going to be potentially playing second base for the U.S. Olympic team. That, that's a pretty cool story to be a speed skater that medaled, and now you're playing baseball and going to the summer games. Yeah, that, that would be cool to say you medaled in both sports and totally different type events. I mean, you know, you went from an individual thing to a to a team sport like that in two totally completely different type activities. So yeah, that would be a really cool story. Unbelievable. First game is July 30th against Israel. And I, I still can't believe the Olympics are coming up as quickly as they are. I'm, I'm very excited for this. The, the summer games. I mean, I love the winter games, but there's something about the summer games. that's just the uniqueness, the amount of events that are taking place. I know the winter's a little bit smaller, a little bit more confined, but so many great events that are going to go on at the Olympics. And I'm glad that baseball's back. It's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out this year for sure. Didn't Jason Marquis pitch for Israel in like the world? I wonder if he's pitching on their Olympic team. Oh, uh, that's a good question. I wonder if they've even announced their uh, their baseball team. Let's see. Because I'm pretty sure he pitched for them in the World Baseball Classic a couple of times. I think so. I think he did. Uh, let's see if we can find out real quick. Former Harrington Baseball star Jake Rosenberg to play for Team Israel in the Olympics. So there is that. Uh, I don't know if they have a roster out just yet uh i don't see anything as far as a roster is concerned oh wait hold on here we go team israel unveils expanded roster for olympic games uh let's see jeremy bleach eric brodkowitz jason uh, jake fishman uh, no, I'm not seeing a Jason Marquis on here. Unfortunately, it looks like he is not going to be taking part in the Olympics. But, you know, like you said, he did do that before. Uh, maybe he's a, an advisor or, or a pitching coach for that team. So we'll see how that plays out. All right, let's jump over to the NBA real quick. Uh, 
Game six of the Milwaukee Atlantic series is going to take place tomorrow night. Giannis is listed as doubtful. Trey Young listed as questionable for that game. Just real quick, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but gut reaction tomorrow night, who wins game six? Uh, I'm going to make a prediction and say that Trey Young ends up playing. I think Giannis won't because they've got the lead. I think Young plays, Atlanta wins, and it pushes them one more game in this series. I agree 100% with you. Trey Young's not going to go out by not playing in game six. So I think he'll play and you'll see a big, big win for Atlanta in Atlanta. Uh, NCAA news. Coach Drinkwitz, once again, pulls something out of his hat that you're like, how did this come about? Uh, I don't even know what to say. It's another blue chipper. He's got another four-star recruit coming in to play for Mizzou in 2022, a four-star running back out of Texas, the number five running back in Texas, uh, Tavares, ja- uh, Tavares Jones. Uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, Jones and uh, what we can expect from him in the near future. Like you said, a four-star recruit, you know, 5'10 kid, 195 pounds. Like you said, he was one of the top running backs in the state of Texas. He picked Mizzou over schools like Alabama and Penn State. So, I mean, Coach Drink is doing a heck of a job. And, you know, this jumped Mizzou up to number 19 in the recruiting class ranks for 2022. And they're going to jump higher because there's a couple of uh, four- and five-star wide receivers that are still very likely to pick Mizzou in the coming weeks. And that class, 2021, this year, 2021 is going to be exciting in Columbia. 2022 at Mizzou, you may not be able to find a seat at Furrow Field because that team is going to be just absolutely a monster club. You know, it it may take a year or so because they'll all be freshmen in 2022. But as you get into 23, 24, don't be shocked with the amount of talent that Mizzou has. If this team is not playing for an SEC championship and – in the uh, playoffs and maybe even playing for a national championship. I mean, that's the kind of talent headed to Columbia in the next couple of years. That just means the media credentials for us need to take place this year so we can get in on the ground floor of this and be involved. And some of the other four-star recruits that Mizzou has for 2022, Sam Horn, Isaac Thompson, uh, Marquis Graciel, and Marcus Scott. And like you said, there's a couple more guys that might be coming down the pipeline as well. And, you know, everybody was sitting there. I don't know if they were questioning uh, Drinkwitz and, and what he could actually bring here because he's he's really kind of been a, a one-year kind of guy at the schools that he's coached at before. I, I Are we starting to see really what he can bring to this kind of school? I mean, this is an SEC school. He's not coming into a, a lower-level school and, and making some noise. He's doing this at an SEC school, pulling people out of Texas, beating out Alabama, beating out LSU for some of these guys. I mean, what is it about Coach Drink that makes kids want to play for him? I think it's his personality. Man. I, I think he just has that personality, that chemistry, that attitude that people just are drawn to him and they want to play for him and they want to go out there and give their all. And, you know, it's pretty exciting. You know, I mean, we haven't had excitement in Columbia since Coach Pinkle was here. You know, and Gary Pinkle did amazing things for Mizzou during their big 12 days and the early part of the SEC days. And, you know, to see Coach Drink having this kind of success in the recruiting field this quickly, a guy, like you said, was basically a lot of people were like, he's a one-year wonder in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, for him to be able to come into the SEC, like you said, be able to steal kids from Alabama and from Penn State and get kids that have already committed. I mean, we've talked about 
we've talked about more four and five stars that may be coming here. I mean, Luther Byrd, the kid from East St. Louis, who's committed to Oklahoma, has been teasing for a couple of weeks now that he's going to pull that commit and change his mind and commit to Mizzou. And I think that's probably going to happen in the next two or three weeks. And, I mean, if you get that kid, I mean, that's, one of the, again, another one of the top wide receivers in the country that everybody was after. And, I mean, the, not only has he been able to do that and go out and get kids, like you said, from Texas and from all over, but he's really closed the borders in Missouri. He's getting these St. Louis kids. He's getting the East St. Louis kids. And that's something that even Coach Pinkle really struggled with. I mean, he, he did get Jeremy Macklin, and he got a couple. But, you know, there were a lot of guys that still – weren't sure they wanted to go to Mizzou. And all of a sudden, Coach Drink has been able to say, hey, St. Louis kids, Columbia is the place you want to be. You don't want to go to Alabama. You don't want to go to Clemson. You, you want to stay at home, and you want to come to Mizzou and be a Tiger. And, you know, if you're able to close those borders and really get those St. Louis kids and still get the kids from the west side of the state, you know, the Kansas City kids that have always kind of gone to Mizzou, I mean, if you could really close ranks in this state and get the cream of the crop in Missouri and then be able to go into Texas, go into Florida, and get a couple of those kids every year, this program really can be legit in the SEC. So are we – this is this is the, the big question for me is because the SEC style of play is a lot different than what it was in the Big 12. And, and even in the Big 12, Mizzou had success, but they also – didn't find the success that they could have, you know, with the you know, playing the Oklahoma's, the big offensive lines, the big defensive lines in the SEC. It is definitely a heavy, heavy uh, style of play. Although we're starting to see a little bit more of that widespread offense. I mean, you, you saw it with LSU, especially with Joe Burrow. You know, are, is he is Coach Drink building a, a program that will be able to compete in the SEC? But also be an SEC type team that compete against can compete against the other uh, you know, conferences. You know, is that is that what we're seeing here? Yeah, I think you are because, like you said, the SEC is different than it has been in the past. It's not that big, powerful Alabama team that we remember from the '90s. You know, those Alabama LSU games that it was six to three and you know just knockdown, drag out type games. The SEC has really opened up in the last few years. And, you know, he's going out and getting the most athletic athletic kids, the fastest kids, and some big kids on the lines, too. So I think I think you are going to be able to compete. I think you're going to be able to compete with the Alabamas and the Georgias and the Floridas. And, you know, I, I think Mizzou's going to be a real threat in the SEC in the next, like I said, two to three, four at the most years. They're really going to be a team knocking on the door for SEC championships. And that's – Music to my ears because you know the, even in the in the years, especially the last couple of years with the the, the the sanctions and all that kind of stuff, it's just been a hard time to be a Mizzou Tigers fan. Even with the the excitement that's kind of been building the last couple of years, so nice to know that this upcoming year we're starting that process to get even better and better and better. And you've got the upgrades at Furrow Field and all that kind of stuff. It's just going to be a fun time to be a Mizzou Tiger fan. Uh, even though I didn't go there, it's still fun to be a Tiger fan. Let's keep the football train rolling. Uh, a couple of other close-to-home news stories that I want to get your take on. First off, the Bears. They're getting closer and closer to moving out of the city of Chicago and moving to Arlington Heights. Uh, you know, there are some things as far as clauses that were very similar to St. Louis as well about moving that team out of there. I don't think you have a, a shady of an owner as Stan Kroenke up in Chicago, but what, what's the feel and the mood you think about the Bears potentially leaving Soldier Field? 
Yeah, I think it's kind of torn. You know, there's there's old school Bears fans that don't want him to leave Soldier Field. You know, and then there's other Bears fans that are like, okay, we need a new stadium. Let, let's kind of move into the next generation of Chicago Bears football. Um, you know, and while it is moving them out of Chicago, it's not like he's moving them out of the state or moving them yeah. across the country. He's just moving them a few miles away. But, you know, there's so much history in Soldier Field when you think about guys like that have played there, guys like Buckus and Walter Payton and Jim McMahon and Mike Singletary and, you know, all those great bears, the monsters of the midway and stuff, you know, it, it would be kind of sad to see them leave that part of it and move on to a next generation. So it's going to be interesting. Cause like you said, there are leases they have to get out of that. They'll have to buy out. Cause I think the lease goes through 2033 at soldier field, something like that. So it is going to be expensive for them to buy their way out of there. And uh, we'll just have to see what happens. Cause I know the mayor of Chicago has really fought back against that. And so, it may be, it may get ugly, honestly, before it gets all settled. But, uh, you know, let's just hope that for Bears fans that uh, they have a good product on the field wherever they're playing in the Chicago area. That's very, very true. We got to get our, our our buddy Derek King on the on the trail of this and see what he can dig up as far as uh, what could happen, rumors and, and the legal stuff behind it as well, because that's where things get tricky is the, the legality of everything. And, you know, Soldier Field is a, you know, it's a picturesque field. Yes, maybe it could use some upgrades, uh, and it's difficult to get to. And I think that's the big piece of it all is that Soldier Field is kind of separated from everything in Chicago. It's kind of off on its lonesome, and it's hard to get to as well. And I get the the feel that they want to move to Arlington Heights, not because Soldier Field is bad, but because this can give you that, that entertainment complex, like what they're doing in L.A., like what the Cardinals have done with Ballpark Village, like what the Kansas City Power and Light District is like. Like they want. All, I understand that that's kind of what they're trying to go towards, but I still don't know if you can remove a team like that from such an iconic place, especially when there's really no bad blood. It's not so much that they're trying to leave for a certain reason or anything like that. I just feel like they want to try and get the experience to be enhanced for the fans and be able to allow fans to get there easier, congregate, tailgate, all that kind of stuff. I think that's the whole impetus behind it all, but I don't know if it's actually going to work. And and that's the scary, scary thing for me. Cause I I'm, I'm with you. Like the iconic moments in bears history are at soldier field. How are you going to say we're moving away from that when it's still a very serviceable place to play? Yeah, because they did a lot of upgrades just a few years ago because yeah. the Bears actually played in Champaign for a season while they did all the upgrades at Soldier Field. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but Soldier Field is a very, very cool stadium. I've driven past it. I have not actually gotten a chance to experience a game there, but even just watching it on TV, yeah, you get the feel like that's that classic stadium. And, and Chicago's got a couple of those with that. And, uh, oh, I don't know, Wrigley Field. So having those kind of icons there and maybe moving away from one, that's a hard thing to take. Um, other notes and notes in the NFL, and this is more for you because you're a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. Do you know they're going to be featured on Hard Knocks again this year? Why? <laughs> because of the drama. You got you got Dak Prescott coming off of injury. You got uh, Mike McCarthy trying to actually get his team to believe in him. And it's the 20th season. I mean, come on. Why Why would you not have the Dallas Cowboys on there? Uh it's the third time the Cowboys have appeared on the show. And like I said, there's a lot of drama surrounding the Cowboys. So it, at least it'll make appointment television. I guess. You know, I mean, the Cowboys, the Cowboys are just such a mess. It, it, it's hard to really even pay attention to them because they're going to be really bad. At it. They have no defense. 
That team, they may score a ton of points just like they did last year, but if they win games, they're going to have to win them 45 to 41. You know, it's just, you know, they're not going to stop anybody. And, and you know, who knows? I know Dak's coming back from the injury, but who knows if he'll be exactly the same Dak when he comes back from that injury. It may take a while. And, you know, we saw Zeke wasn't really that good last year. So, you know, I'm just not expecting a lot from the Cowboys. Uh, yeah, neither am I. And I, I know you weren't excited about the Mike McCarthy hiring, and I know a lot of fans are not excited about the Mike McCarthy hiring. And after year one, you're kind of like, why is he still here? So it's going to be a very interesting season in Dallas for sure. What, I mean, what are your thoughts on McCarthy? You think he can actually get this team back to where they were at, or is it just a placeholder like uh, some of these other guys? No, I mean, back to where they were 25 years ago. Oh, when no, no. Actually, even, when, even, when, when they were actually relevant. Even five um, or seven years ago when they were at least partially relevant. Uh, yeah, it, until Jerry's gone, and I hate to say that because Jerry Jones did a lot in Dallas in the 90s to make that team relevant again and America's team again. But, I mean, until he's gone and not helping make decisions, I don't see that team being competitive because, like you said, it's more of a TV show. It's like a reality TV show wrapped around a football team, basically. And, you know, you said, McCarthy, why is he still there? We said that for 10 years with Jason Garrett, it felt like. So, you know, he's a Jerry Jones guy. So, you know, even if they're horrible, Jerry's going to keep him there. And, yeah, I, I look for the Cowboys to be somewhere around 6 and 10. Ouch. Ouch. Well, you know, we, we talked a couple weeks ago about uh, you know how we think the Giants might be a, a dark horse team. The Washington football team might actually be somewhat improved as well. So there are other teams in that division that could be better. Philadelphia even may be better. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, it depends on what Jalen Hurts does this year. So Dallas was America's team in the 90s and into the early 2000s. That moniker is still used by the Cowboys, but not necessarily by the NFL as a whole. If you look at it right now, you know, we talked about the New England Patriots being America's team for a very long time, but that was when Tom Brady was there. If you're looking at it right now, who would you label as a team that could be considered America's team and one that, you know, in St. Louis, we could go out and maybe root for? That's really hard right now. I mean, when you really look at it, um, you know, I guess because of the, of the success and the excitement that they've had, kind of the team that maybe people are gravitating to is Kansas city just because of how explosive that offense has been. That could be one, you know, I mean, for a lot of people around the country, the Patriots have been that team for the last couple of decades, you know, the bucks now because of Brady and the success they had down there, Um, you know, a team that I also really like, and they've been an underdog for a really long time and they're going to be awfully exciting. The Cleveland Browns could move into that type of territory just because a lot of people are going to around the country are jumping on that Brown bandwagon because they see all the talent this team has. And, you know, for all the people that said, oh, Odell Beckham can't wait to get out of Cleveland. He's going to get traded. He's going to get traded. I don't know if you saw. He came out and made a statement and said the best thing that's ever happened in his life was going to Cleveland. You know, that he's never been happier. That You know, and Odell's going to be a monster this year. That team is that team's going to be scary. They're going to be hard, hard, hard to beat. So, and it's funny you brought up this question about America's team because I was actually going to talk to you about doing this as a poll and going football, baseball, hockey, basketball, and having like four teams from each sport and, you know, kind of posing that question to people. What would you pick as America's team from like, you know, like baseball, take like the Cardinals, Yankees, Dodgers, Red Sox, you know, some of those 
some of those really well established teams in each league and kind of have people vote on them and see what see what we come up with. I think that's a great idea. So maybe 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 that'll be coming tomorrow sometime. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you can even break it down further. You can you know you could pick America's team in baseball and then and and then pit all four of those against each other. I think that's an amazing idea. Absolutely amazing idea. Well, uh, you were talking about a dark horse team, and I get with the Browns the, the years of futility, the amount of starting quarterbacks that they've gone through. It totally makes sense that Cleveland could be one of those teams that America gravitates to. I was thinking you were going to go along the lines of like the Tennessee Titans. I could see them being a team that could eventually, it's a hardworking blue collar team, uh, a guy like Ryan Tannehill, who kind of had a shot. He's a receiver turned quarterback. That's another team that you could look for as, as maybe a underdog America's team for sure. Yeah, I, I can see that. I'm not sure though, that Tennessee has that superstar that people are going to no. kind of gravitate to. I mean, you have Derek Henry, but you know, he's not, He's not instant excitement all the time. You know, I mean, he will break a big run, but a lot of times, you know, it's three or four runs, three or four yard runs there. He just plows over people. And, you know, and Tannehill's, Tannehill's not really like a guy that's going to draw people to him. Julio Jones will have people excited, but, you know, he's older in his career. But, yeah, Tennessee's definitely going to be a scary team in the AFC. Buffalo, a, another yeah. team that people could, could start falling in love with as well, you know, because they're going to be scary. I mean, the AFC in general is just going to be tough. It's going to be insane for sure. I, once again, I've said this before. I can't believe how excited I am to get back into football over the last couple of years, especially. But for all the warts that the NFL has, it's still a freaking amazing game to watch. And I cannot wait for Sundays again. Honestly, this is the last month without football on Sundays, essentially. So, Let's get through July, and we got football back in our lives. All right, over to the NHL real quick as uh, Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Finals is going on currently. And Mason, if you're listening, I know you got us live streaming uh, at your work, but I got to say it, I think you're probably going to end up being right. I think this is going to end up being Tampa in four, uh, a 6-3 Tampa Bay lead with about two minutes to go in the third. Uh, You've got... Eight different players have now scored for the Tampa Bay. Uh, Jan, Jan Ruda, Victor Hedman scored tonight. Nikita Kucherov got his eighth. Hello, injured reserve. Come on. Uh, Tyler Johnson's got a couple tonight. Blake Coleman has one. I, Tampa's just damn good. And, and Pat Maroon is essentially a game and two minutes away from hoisting the Stanley Cup for the third time in three years. I mean, what else can you say about the Tampa Bay Lightning? Yeah, no, they've been dominant, and it's impre- it's impressive what they've done. You know, I have a question though: How much did the country of Canada really hurt Montreal by not allowing people in that building? You know, only having three thousand people in there, you took away any real opportunity for them to have kind of a home ice advantage in these next couple of games. It's absolutely huge. I mean, e- even if they would have an, a- agreed to it like just yesterday, knowing your team's coming home down to nothing to a team that is just playing very, very well. Just having a full, even a half full arena would have been able to energize that Canadians team and just maybe give them that lift to, even if it's just one game, giving them a chance to get back into this series. I mean, I get the whole health thing, but it just seems like it's a questionable decision on that part, especially when, you know, the, you know, the mayor of Montreal the, or the governor of Canada, whatever the president of Canada, I don't even know what Canada's legal system or governmental system is, but when, they, when they're trying to like make a trade with the president of the United States about who's going to win, 
you're not doing yourself any favors by hamstringing your team by only allowing 3,000 people in an arena. I mean, I went to a Blues game when it was at like 25% capacity. It was kind of like, yeah, this is a bit stagnant. This is a Stanley Cup finals game. It's either be an empty stadium like they did last year in the bubble or pack the living shit out of it and give your team a chance at, at, at winning a game. Yeah, yeah, it, it really hurt them. It's a shame. You know, and it's not like the Canadians were asking for a full stadium. What, they were asking to have half, like you said, about half 10,000 people. You would have thought they could have figured out a way to do that. And, it, and it's a shame because, like you said, down 0-2, you know, if you have at least a half full stadium, that maybe does energize the team and it gives the fans the opportunity to see their team in the Stanley Cup Finals, which you've, you know, kind of taken away from those people in Canada. So that's a shame in my mind. I mean, at the very least, first responders and vaccinated people, at the very least, you've got at least that many people in Canada that you could bring in and and talk about uh, an image thing and, and being able to pack, you know, even half an arena with that. Like, if you could sit there and say, hey, it's the Stanley Cup Finals. We know tickets are going for $30,000. But we're going to allow 10,000 first responders and vaccinated people into the into the arena to, to experience this. That's a huge image thing that the, that the Canadians, Canada, and the NHL could have taken advantage of, and they absolutely did not. And it's just another one of those things that, that makes you question Gary Bettman's leadership for all the good he's done, but also all the bad he's done as well. Yeah, although, I mean, I, there's not a whole lot he could do with no. Canada saying, you know, you know, that's just like you have to feel bad for the Blue Jays because who knows when that team's ever going to get to play in Toronto again because they were talking about maybe sometime at the end of July, but now they've pushed that back and they're talking about maybe the first part of September. Wow. I mean, that's just – that's sad, really. I mean, it's absolutely sad that that's the case because Toronto fans deserve – I mean, especially after the Maple Leafs got beaten out by the Canadians after being up 3-1. to one. <laughs> Toronto fans need something to cheer for. Well, yeah, and imagine being a Blue Jay fan, and you've got these really young, good, you know, Vladdy yeah. Jr. and and Bo Bichette and and Biggio, and you can't go see them. You know, that's a year and a half now that Blue Jays fans in Toronto have missed seeing this young group of guys coming together and becoming superstars, and you you can't see your team, and you can't cross the border to go see them play in Buffalo. I mean, you can't right. do any of this stuff. You have to see them on television, and that's just a sad, sad thing. And in Toronto, sitting at forty-two and thirty-eight, they're eight games back of Boston, but they're having a really good year this year, even with the pitching that isn't all that great. But it is the American League and the American League East. You don't have to have great pitching; you just have to have decent pitching in order to compete in the AL East. Well, in talking about pitching in the AL East, how crazy is it that the Yankees have decent pitching? And their offense is doing bad. And there's even rumors that the Yankees may be sellers at the deadline. That would be something you've never heard of, at least in my lifetime. The Yankees as sellers. Uh, that's just insane to even think of for sure. Hey, maybe the Cardinals can get Giancarlo Stanton. What about Luke Voigt? Is Luke Voigt available? Yeah, you know, because I had an argument with some people today that think Luke Voigt's better than Paul Goldschmidt. You're kidding me, right? No, no. I literally, I literally had an argument with a guy on a Cardinals site today that told me that if Tommy Pham, Randy Arozarena, and Luke Voigt were here, they would be the second, third, and fourth best players on this team. And all three, Luke Voigt's hitting like one thirty. Tommy Pham's got like six homers and twenty five RBIs, and Rosarena's like a two fifty hitter. But they'd be better than Goldschmidt and O'Neill. 
No, not at all. And <laughs> Darkness chiming in, is Garrett Cole available with the laughing emoji? <laughs> oh, and, and I, I, you're right. I, you know, Boston definitely we thought was going to improve, but not first place and having a three and a half game lead right now. I, I don't think that uh, that was in the cards at all for in my mind, at least. No, and I was thinking about this today on the old show that we used to do when we did our baseball previews. Our former co-host, I believe, picked the Red Sox to finish dead last this year. Yeah, worse than Baltimore. Worse than Baltimore. I think I think you're right. I think you're right. But you know, you never know. It's it's bound oh, to happen know. at some point. Yeah, but but you know, you definitely know. You definitely know. All right. Uh, anything else before we get out of here tonight, Scott? Oh, uh, one other football news. Bit of football news. Aaron Rodgers did not opt out with the COVID thing today, so he is still. He is still eligible to play, and the Green Bay general manager, that situation is not getting any better because I don't know if you heard this, but he came out today and said they've not gotten one offer for Aaron Rodgers. There's been no legitimate offers. There's no interest around the league from anybody for Aaron Rodgers. So for the Packers to GM to come out and say that today on a day that Rodgers could opt out, I mean, are you just kicking the guy hoping that he doesn't come back at this point? I mean, that's not mending any fences going, nope, nobody wants him. Nobody nobody in the league wants him. Couldn't I mean, trade him before. Basically said, couldn't trade him if we wanted to. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what that says, but, uh, I mean, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm sitting there going, yeah, I'm definitely not coming back. And uh, screw you guys, I'm going home. That's Eric Cartman right there. Yeah. You know, I, I heard those comments today, and I'm like, how dumb is this guy? I mean, seriously, you know, I, I just don't understand. And then another bit of Packer news to really throw some dirt on Packers fans. Devontae Adams came out and he's, he's a free agent after this year. Yep. So he is a Packer, but he made comments about how he's really interested in being reunited with his former college quarterback, Derek Carr with the Raiders next year. I saw that. I saw that. That's uh man, that would be definitely kicking dirt on the, well, I mean, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't come back, you're if you're Devonte Adams, you're in the prime of your career. Are you wanting to go another few years playing with Jordan Love as he progresses to become a, a quarterback? I mean, yeah, you could sit there and say, yes, I, I believe in him, and I, I think I can make him better, and I think eventually we can win championships. Or you can, or, or are you going to go and say, okay, the the Raiders will probably pay me a ton of money. I'll go play with a guy that I'm used to playing with. He's in the prime of his career. I'm in the prime of my career. The Raiders are looking pretty good. Yes, you have to go up against the Chiefs, but you know, in a couple of years, the Chiefs may be on the decline. That might be a really good opportunity for Devontae Adams. And honestly, I'd love to see him in in the uh, the black and silver. I, I well, definitely will. Well, imagine if you had Devontae Adams and Henry Ruggs playing as wide receivers on that team for Derek Carr. That would be like video game football. But if you're the Packers and Rodgers doesn't come back and Adams is making comments like that, don't you try to trade him before the trade deadline and try, oh, to, yeah. get some, try to get some draft picks for him? Most definitely. You find every way possible to recoup as much as you can because you know you're not going to be a good team for, for the next couple of years. So you do everything that you possibly can to set yourself up. I, I would totally 100% do that if I were the Packers, for sure. You think Aaron Jones is kicking himself right now for not taking that deal in Miami? Yep, he really is. Uh, I mean, he, he is definitely going to be the face of the Packers for sure. But he's going to be the only face for the Packers probably going forward. 
Oh man, that that's a mess up there. And and sorry to all you Packers fans, but you know what? You reap what you sow, I guess. So, all right. Well, that's gonna do it for us tonight. Uh, as we speak, the Cardinals are uh, going into the top of the ninth, trailing the Rockies three to two. So maybe we have some ninth inning magic tonight. Hopefully, you got Yadier Molina, Tommy Edmond, and Paul DeYoung do up. So. We'll see. Maybe Yachty can hit another home run. Uh, we're going to have a, a, a weekend break. We wish you guys a very, very happy 4th of July. Enjoy it. Be safe. Be smart. And maybe don't watch the Cardinals so you can have a fun weekend. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, for Scott Tobin, I am Wags. Thank you guys for joining us. Make sure you come back every weeknight at 9 o'clock for Toasted Tavern. And John Hewlett, send us out. Hey, it's you, man, here from Casey. For all your sports news, catch the Toasted Tavern with Scott Tobin and the man called Wags weeknights at 9 p.m. You can follow Toasted Tavern on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's get toasted.